Glory. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you, ladies. And thank you all tonight for worship. And thank you for joining us in worship from your homes tonight as well. Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. I want to direct your attention to a couple of phrases out of two verses as we begin tonight. Everything in this chapter, and really the entire book of Exodus, revolves around the purpose of God is to know him. As I stated at the beginning of our worship time, John 17, 3 is a very key verse. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. This is life at its highest quality, to know you, God, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus always connects living the highest quality of life with the knowledge of God. But again, it is a knowledge that comes by experience, through a relationship, through becoming more thoroughly acquainted with God. And Paul, remember what Paul said? He said, I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of God. I'm willing to, to, to let go of everything. For him, it was all about life was the greatest whenever he was becoming more acquainted with God every day. I want us to think about that because sometimes we define a great life with all other things. If, if I do this, if I have this, if I get this, whatever, then I'm living the high life. And for the Bible, the truth is this. The highest life we can live is becoming more thoroughly acquainted with God every day. It doesn't get any better than that. So I want you to first go to verse 10. Look at the phrase... Moses said to Pharaoh, it will be as you say, beginning with the word so, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. That's why God's doing this, Pharaoh, so that you and everyone else in Egypt may know that there's no one like the Lord our God. Again, the word know in Exodus 8.10 is to become more acquainted with by experience. Then if you go over to verse 22, God says, one day I'll mark off the land of Goshen where my people are staying so that no swarms of flies will be there that, so that you may know that I am and that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Again, that word know in verse 22 is to become more acquainted with by experience. Everything God did in the book of Exodus, with his people, through his people, with the Egyptians, through the Egyptians, the purpose was always that people might come to know him, to know him. Whatever the plan of God is, the purpose is to know him. Whatever the process, and Nicole talked a lot about this, whatever the process that we're waiting on or going through that, with God, right? Even in that process, the purpose is 
to know me. Even in the pain sometimes of life that we have to go through. What is the purpose? To know him. Think of Job. Job became more thoroughly acquainted with God through the experience that he went through, even the pain. So every day, you and I can face every day knowing whatever God's plan is for my life, I know this. Generally speaking, he wants me to know him. Whatever process God has me going through right now, I know this. The purpose of God is he wants me to know him. Even in the pain that sometimes I go through, in the seasons of life, what is the purpose of God? To know him. To know him. That's always the purpose of God. And you'll note back in verse 10 of chapter 8 that you might know that there is no one like the Lord our God. We sung about that tonight. That speaks of his holiness because he is holy other than anyone or anything in the universe. There is no one like our God. He is set apart, distinct, unique. No one like God. And then in verse 22, so that you might know that I am the great I am and that I am the Lord in the midst of this land. I'm in the center and heart of everything. I am the source of these plagues and I am the source of the protection and provision of my people at the same time. I am behind it and in it, and in fact, in the very center of it all. It's all God. I am. I am. So let's begin then back in verse 1, looking at some things. At the end of chapter 7, beginning of verse 8, seven full days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. God gave Pharaoh seven days with the Nile as blood that we talked about last week to consider letting his people go. And to me, turning the Nile into blood should have convinced Pharaoh to comply. But remember, his heart was hard, and God predicted that. So then the Lord, verse 1, says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord, release my people in order that they may serve me. Now, I want to go back to this because I touched on this last week, but it's so important that I want to go back to it. You'll notice how God is continually directing Moses about what to say to Pharaoh and what to do through his word, through his voice, through listening to him. Over and over again, you see this phrase in the book of Exodus, the Lord said to Moses, look at verse 5, same verse. Or same phrase, the Lord spoke to Moses. Look at verse 16 at the beginning. The Lord said to Moses. Look at the beginning of verse 20. The Lord said to Moses. Moses is doing everything that he's doing and saying everything he's saying under the direction, guidance, and leadership of God. He's listening for the voice of God, and he's doing what God is telling him to do. God works the same way today. God is leading us through his word God is leading us through his voice. God is leading us through his spirit that he has put within us. We are to be listening for the voice of God. We are to be the sheep who follow his voice and know his voice. We are, be, are to be looking to him for our guidance and our direction as we move through life, as we move through 
his plan, his process, and even at times, the pain. Are we listening for the voice of God? Because there are so many voices out there that we can be listening to, but primarily, ultimately, we must be listening to the voice of God above all other voices. We must be dialed in at all time to the voice of God. What is the Lord speaking to you about right now? What is the Lord saying to you right now? What is he directing you to do or leading you to do right now? These are the things that we must continually consider as we walk with God. He says, verse 1, go to him and says, thus says the Lord. This is the sovereign of the universe who's speaking. Now, obviously, at this point, God's voice does not carry any weight or authority with Pharaoh. It should with us. When God speaks, his voice should carry the ultimate weight and authority in our life. Release my people, set them free, let them go. They're not yours to hold on to. They're mine. They are my people. God, again, always had freedom as the goal for his people. Just as today, why did God send his son Jesus? so that we could be freed from our sins, freed from the bondage of sin, from the power of sin, from the guilt and shame of sin. He came to set his people free, and we are to live in the freedom that comes to us through Jesus Christ. But if you refuse, verse 2, to release them, then I'm going to strike a plague all your territory with frogs. Notice something here. If you refuse or are unwilling. What is happening here between God and Pharaoh? A battle of the wills. That's what it comes down to a lot of times in our life. That's what it comes down to in every human being's life. A battle of the wills. My will, God's will. Who's going to win, right? And again, Jesus is the great example of the one who in his humanity surrendered and submitted when he said in the garden, not my will, but yours, yours. And when we follow the Lord, that needs to be our attitude as well. Because there will always come those moments in our life, those points of our life where we have that choice. Is it going to be my will or is it going to be God's will? Pharaoh was hard-hearted, and he refused. He was unwilling to let God's people go. So God said, okay, if you continue to refuse, I'm going to send a plague of frogs. This is the first plague now that involves the animal kingdom. He struck the Nile, but now he's using the animal kingdom. And in a sense, you can see where the created order is being used and manipulated by God, who is the creator, who can do anything with anything within his creation because he is the Lord of hosts and everything in his universe that he created is at his disposal. So I know this is going to creep some of you out because it creeps me out. Verse 3, the Nile will swarm, abound, increase abundantly with frogs. They will come up and go into your house, into your bedroom, 
on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and your kneading troughs. You won't be able to escape the presence of frogs. They will be everywhere, croaking. Frogs will come up against you, your people, and all your servants. So the Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron, extend your hand with your staff over the rivers, the canals, the ponds, bring the frogs up over the land of Egypt. So Aaron extended, and here comes the frogs. But notice verse 7. The magicians of Pharaoh did the same with their secret arts and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt too. Again, we talked about how satanic or demonic counterfeit power to God can do supernatural things. Now, it is no match for the power of God. Never. But they can, through tapping into this occultic knowledge that they had, they can do some pretty incredible things. Now, here's the crazy thing, right, though? Did, did you, you're already being plagued by frogs by God, and you get the magicians to bring up even more? How's that working for you? How, now you're just bringing even more frogs up. Evil sometimes doesn't make any sense, right? And it doesn't here either. So then, Pharaoh wanted relief. So he summons Moses. You see, it's the way it is sometimes with folks we know, right? They don't really believe in God, but something bad happens, some crisis comes into their life, and who do they turn to? Many times they turn to a Christian or someone that they believe knows or has a relationship with God to pray for them. And we need to be aware of that. And, and that goes back even to Sonny's message about why we need to make sure that we are loving those that don't know God yet so that we have that bridge with them so that they feel that we are accessible and accepting that when something happens to them because we want them to turn to us, not to turn to us, but to turn to our God. And it is a privilege and an honor for us to pray for people and intercede for them. And that's exactly what Pharaoh asked Moses to do. Pray to the Lord that he may take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will release the people that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Then Moses said to Pharaoh, you may have the honor to even decide what time that will take place. And here's why Moses gives Pharaoh that honor, if you will. Because God, through Moses wants Pharaoh to know, I'm not only the God who can bring these plagues on you, I am the God who can make them stop anytime I want to. And that that's just as much a miracle, just as much a sign, just as much a wonder as bringing them to you is taking them away when you tell me you want them taken away. So that's exactly what Moses did. He said, Pharaoh said, I want him out of here tomorrow, verse 10. And that's when Moses then said, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there's no one like our God. You have all these gods, Pharaoh, and you are even worshipped as a god in Egypt. Yet you cannot control these plagues. Your magicians can counterfeit them, but they cannot control them. They cannot bring them 
up at certain times or any time they want to, and they certainly can't, can't stop them from coming upon you. Only God can do that. And God wants you to know that he's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who's in control here. The frogs will depart from you, verse 11, your houses, your servants, and your people, and they will be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. Moses cried to the Lord because of the frogs that he had brought on Pharaoh. And I love this, verse 13, the Lord did as Moses asked. God answers our prayers. This isn't the only time this happens in this chapter. Flip over to verse 30 of chapter 8. This is where there were the flies. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and did the same thing. He prayed to the Lord and notice verse 31. And the Lord did as Moses asked. I want you to retain that. Those two phrases are an encouragement to our prayer life. God moves when his people pray. God moves when his people cry out to him. He did what Moses asked. Now, again, as we sung about and as Nicole talked about, God may also say, I'm going to do it, but it's not quite time yet. So trust me, there's a purpose for the waiting. And that as you're waiting in this process, you can know me more and know me better through the process. So notice verse 13, the frogs died out in the houses, the villages, the fields. This is gross. <laughs> the Egyptians piled them in countless heaps and the land stank. I can only imagine the thousands upon thousands of frogs that were all over Egypt. When Pharaoh saw, though, notice this, that there was relief, that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them. And here's a key phrase, too, as we see throughout the book of Exodus, just as the Lord predicted. His word is trustworthy. His word is dependable. His word is reliable. He is faithful, as we sung about tonight as well. Now, notice something key here about Pharaoh. What we learn then in verse 15 is that when Pharaoh would go to Moses and ask him to pray and to take the plague away, it wasn't because his heart had softened or become tender toward the Lord and that he was repenting. All Pharaoh wanted was relief. And once he got relief, he was right back to his old self. And that's the way many are today. They don't really want to change. They don't want to change. They just want their circumstances to change. And once their circumstances change, they're right back to where they were. They're just looking for relief. They're not looking for God, you see. Verse 16, the Lord then says to Moses, tell Aaron, extend your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And now God is going to bring gnats from dust. And it will become gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. So that's exactly what happened. All of the dust of the ground became gnats on people and on animals. All the dust of the ground became gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't like a fly flying around my head or a mosquito, much less all these gnats, these pests that just were constantly 
annoying. Now notice this. For the very first time, the magicians of Pharaoh could duplicate the Nile, they could duplicate the frogs, but they could not duplicate bringing forth the gnats from dust. There is a limit to demonic, satanic power. They cannot do all, again, that God can do because there's no one like our God. So this is a key verse in the book of Exodus. When the magicians, verse 18 of chapter 8, attempted to bring forth gnats by their secret arts, they could not. They could not. Again, we must be aware and respectful of the counterfeit power of Satan, but he is no match for God. His power is limited. God's power is unlimited. So notice, even in verse 19, the magicians say to Pharaoh, it is the finger of God. They are acknowledging, even as Pharaoh's magicians, that this is a supernatural event beyond their control. And they are pointing to Elohim. That's the word God that they use, the supreme God. Now think about that. This is a culture that believes in many, many gods. And now basically a very influential group within that nation that people follow because of their satanic power is now saying, we can't compete with that God. What a testimony, what evidence God is giving even to Pharaoh. His own magicians are saying, we can't compete with that God. He's stronger and greater than any of our gods or any of us. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard, stubborn, obstinate, and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. I want to go back to something, again, I shared last week, because what, what you're going to see in these next couple of chapters, we're in a section now of deliverance, where God is delivering his people. The first couple chapters are all about bondage and suffering. Now, these chapters we're looking at is all about deliverance. Later on, we're going to be in the journey to the promised land. And then in the last half of the book, we're into the law and the tabernacle, the worship of God. But right now, it's all about deliverance. And so there's, there's themes that are constantly repeated because God wants to engrave, if you will, these themes, these truths upon the hearts of his people and even upon us today. And one of the truths here that we see throughout the book of Exodus with Pharaoh is hard hearts do not listen. That is a... That is a, uh, a, a way that a hard heart is expressed. It will not listen either to God or to others when it's appealed to. It is locked down. And we need to be careful that our heart does not become hard, stubborn, and obstinate. We need to maintain a soft, tender, pliable heart in the hands of God. Here's the danger too. Every time our heart becomes hard, it gets harder and harder and harder. It's like in the New Testament where Paul tells Timothy that a conscience can literally become seared like with a hot iron. It can be cauterized. It's like, it's like that burnt skin that doesn't have any feeling anymore. 
Paul said that's a way a conscience can even become. That it can, be, it can become so damaged that it has no feeling anymore. That's why, you know, it amazes me when, when we as Christians sometimes even, you know, look at the news and, and, and the things that's even going on and the way people treat each other and stuff, and we say things like, how can they do that? Because many of the people who are doing those things, they are past their conscience. Their, their conscience has no feeling anymore. They don't feel anymore. They have no feeling. So no, it doesn't bother them, you see. And that's what we have to be careful of. Verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and position yourself before Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and tell him, thus says the Lord, release my people that they may serve me. A couple of things from that verse. First of all, notice God says, I want you to position yourself here. I want you to take your stand here. I want you to stand fast and stand firm here. The, the reason we need to mention that is because God has a place for all of us to be standing at times. Where is it right now in our life that God wants us to position ourselves? Where, where should we be, in a sense, ministering or serving the Lord? Where does he want us? Where does he want us to stand? Where does he want us to be in position at? God will always have a place for us. When we belong to God, then he has a place for us, a position for us to fill within his kingdom. God said to Moses, that's where I want you to stand. Where does he want us to to stand. And then notice again, the purpose of God, release my people that they may serve me. Again, I want to point out that word serve in the Old Testament is the word for worship. God is saying, I want you to set my people free so that they can worship me through service. That's always, again, God's goal, setting us free to serve him. We are not set free through the blood of Jesus Christ to sit to be a spectator. We are set free to participate and to serve the Lord Christ. That's why we're set free. And that service is part of our worship. So then we have to ask ourselves, where and how am I serving the Lord right now? Because all of us are to have a place of service for the Lord, and that's one of the ways we worship him, is through our service. If you do not release my people, verse 21, then I'm going to send swarms of flies. And they're going to be everywhere, even on the ground, the end of verse 21, that you stand on. But on that day, next big point, I will mark off the land of Goshen where my people are staying so that no swarms of flies will be there, so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of this land. God is going to make a distinction now for the very first time between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Now, again, this is incredible, right? They're flies. You know, it's like they're going to go, 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 and then all of a sudden they're going to get to the land where the Israelites are and they're going to stop. Who can do that but God? So there's going to be all these flies where the Egyptians are and none where the Israelites are. That reminds me, you know, 
I love the ocean. And, you know, you, you go to the ocean, and they have sometimes these signs like, this is where the sharks are. And I'm thinking, did the sharks read those signs? <laughs> like, they can't go swim past those signs because that, that's, you know, where they are. It just reminds me, like, the flies. Like, the flies, can you imagine? that they're, they're flying along, and all of a sudden, like, you know, in their head, God says, nope, can't go there. They have to stop. And, of course, the flies are very obedient to the voice of God. And God is saying to us, I know the difference. I can make a distinction between my people and not my people. As Peter said, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unrighteous for the day of judgment. God knows the difference, and that's why God says, so don't you be the ones trying to do all the separating. That's the whole intent behind the parables of the sheep and the goats and the, uh, oh, what's the other one? Oh, wheat and tares. Thank you, Lord, popping that into my head. Why did Jesus talk about the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares? Because he says they both will be together, but it's not up to us to separate them because we don't know people's hearts. That's not our job. So God says they're just going to grow together until the end, and then I'll separate them. I'll separate them at the end. I will separate the sheep from the goats. I will separate the wheat from the tares. But that's not up to you. I'm the only one that can make the distinction. And God is saying, I can make distinctions. I will put, verse 23, a division between my people and your people. The sign will take place tomorrow. So, so now not only is the sign or evidence of God, the plague itself, stopping the plague, but now, in a sense, putting a boundary around the plague. God is just multiplying the evidence here to hard-hearted Pharaoh. So the Lord did so, verse 24, and these flies were everywhere over the land of Egypt. So verse 25, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says, go sacrifice to your God. But notice, ah, within the land. I'm still in control. I'm not going to let you go. But Moses said, well, no, we're not going to do that because our sacrifices are animals that your people think are sacred. And that's not going to go well. So no, we're not going to do that. We must go on a three-day journey, verse 27, into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God because notice this phrase, that's what God's telling us to do. Not to stay within the land, but to go beyond the land. See how Pharaoh's trying to play games here? He's just, he's just not willing to let him go. He's stubborn. He's obstinate. He's, even when he, like, he, just, he wants to get relief, but he only goes so far. Pharaoh said, I will release you so that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the desert, only you must not go very far. Thinking he's in control when he's not. But do pray for me. Moses said, I am not, I am going to go out from you and pray to the Lord, and the swarm of flies will go away from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal falsely or deceitfully again by not releasing the people. Don't you just be making promises that you aren't going to keep because it's not going to go well for you, Pharaoh. God's get, he's, 
He's coming to the end of dealing with you in that way. And so notice, too, Moses, there's no compromise here. He's not going to compromise and make a deal with Pharaoh. It's either this way or no way, Pharaoh, and God's going to keep bringing those plagues until you truly let his people go. There's no such thing as halfway freedom. We're either free or we're not free. So Moses went out from the Lord, verse 30, and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one fly remained. Boy, that would have been a great day. But again, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not release the people. He became more insensitive and more unresponsive to God and to the voice of God through Moses and through Aaron. What I want to bring us back to tonight, verse 10 and verse 22, God was doing everything that he was doing so that his people and the Egyptians would know that there is no one like God. He is holy. He is holy other. I mean, even his own people. Think about it. They're, they're living in the land of Goshen. They look across and they see nothing but like black clouds of flies, swarms of flies. And they're standing there and there's not a fly on them. That would say something to them too, like our God is amazing. He not only can bring up these plagues, but he protects us as his people and prevents us from suffering under these plagues. Again, even that should have given them encouragement that their freedom was coming and that God was at work. Maybe he hasn't totally, you know, fulfilled all that he's promised them yet, but he's giving them glimpses of what he can do through the process because he wants them more than anything else to know him, to become more thoroughly acquainted with him through the experience of living with him and walking with him every day. And God hasn't changed in thousands of years. That's exactly what God is up to in each of our lives and in the life of our church. Whatever God's plan is for us individually and for a church, ultimately it's so that we might know him, that there is no one like him. And whatever process God has you going through right now, because there's always a process to every path that God has us on, whatever process God is taking us through as a church and as individuals, the purpose is that we might know him. And whatever pain you or I may be going through at any time in our life, there's always a purpose of, I want you to know me even in the pain. Because I'm right smack dab in the midst of it. I'm right in this. I'm not far, far away. I'm right smack dab in the middle of it. And I know for you, that may, that may cause you issues because you're thinking, if you're right smack dab in the middle of it and you see what I'm going through and you're feeling what I'm going through, why are you letting me stay there? Because I want you to know me. And sometimes... As Nicole even pointed out, sometimes those most difficult, hardest times in our life are the times where we gain greatest knowledge of our God. I've told you before, I went through a time in my life where I felt all that I had was God. I almost lost everything in my life, and I realized at that point, God was all I needed. When I came to the end of myself and was undone, I realized, I got God, that's all I need. 
And from that point in my life to now, it's like God has steeled me and strengthened me and, and given me a spirit that has allowed me to be a better pastor for you and, and a better leader for you and, and, and one that we can, you know, we can accomplish all that God has for us, but it didn't come without me having to go through a lot of pain. And you're the same. That pain is never purposeless. That process is never purposeless. That plan of God is never purposeless. It's all so that you and I might know that there is no one like our God. Let's pray. Father, there's sometimes, Lord, where these stories of the Bible, it's like I'd love to have been, no pun intended, a fly on the wall. I would have loved to have just seen, Lord, your mighty hand bring upon the Egyptians and Pharaoh, those tremendous plagues as you controlled nature and the animal kingdom. And yet, God, to see that your people was completely protected and preserved through all that, that even though they were suffering still as slaves in Egypt, that the plagues never came upon your people, you made a distinction. It could have been so much worse than what it was. And in all of it, Lord, whether it was suffering under the plagues like the Egyptians and Pharaoh or whether it was being protected and preserved from the plagues like your people, Lord, it all had a purpose and that was that everyone there may know you and come to know you in a more profound and greater way. And God, the same thing is true today. God, you're just asking us to open our eyes, to open our ears, to allow our heart to be tender towards you so that we might grow in our knowledge of you no matter what we're dealing with or what we're going through or what challenges or obstacles lay in our path. Because, Lord, if we could just get to the place in our life, like Paul, where he counted everything loss except for the knowledge of his Savior, Jesus Christ. That there was nothing more important to him, nothing more significant to him than knowing Jesus Christ more and more every day. Lord, may we all get there too, and may we continue to move that way as a church, a church that burns for you, a church that yearns for you, a church that wants to grow and continue to grow in you, God so that we come to the place where we realize, Lord, we are an unstoppable force with you, God. There is nothing on this earth. There's no demons of hell. There's no power of hell, Lord, that can stop us. We are your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And we're going to march forward as your powerful army in your mighty name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.